to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we're going to continue in our Bible uh sermon series on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. We've been in Luke chapter 9 for a while because it's a long chapter with a bunch of good stuff in it. And so we're still in Luke 9 today and we'll be for a couple of more sermons. But we'll get to to the story that we're going to look at in just a little bit in Luke chapter 9. But I always like to, or at least most of the time, like to ask you a question to get you thinking. How many of you ever get frustrated But I'm sure you didn't get frustrated today because today is Sunday. And we don't let those kind of things get into our lives on Sundays, right? You know, to be honest with you, if we really look at what frustration means and and what can frustrate us, frustration is just part of ongoing life, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's just part of living in the world. Because frustration is this feeling of annoyance that occurs when something doesn't go as you expect. Is there anybody in here that all the time, with everything and everybody, it always goes as you expect? No. Right? So anytime something doesn't go or isn't as you expect, there's going to be some measure of frustration. It may be just a little tiny bit like, ah, that didn't go like I wanted, wanted it to, but that's okay. You know, or, oh man, dinner didn't turn out quite as good as I wanted it to be, but it still was good, nourishing, you know. But it can also be major, right? I'm some major interruption in your life, some major thing that you were really counting on and it didn't happen or it happened the wrong way or something else. Oh, the frustration. Frustration. Is frustration sin? You know, there's a lot of, um, similarities and connections between frustration and anger because frustration can build and it can turn into anger. And I would say the answer to is frustration sin is similar to the answer to is anger sin. You know, it's just something we deal with. It's a feeling. Whether it's a sin or not is determined by what is it that we get frustrated by because if we get frustrated by something that we shouldn't, if we get frustrated because we are so utterly self-focused and selfish, it could be a sin. But it also depends on how we deal with the frustration. What is our response with the frustration? We can respond in a good way, in which case it wouldn't be a sin, or we could respond in the totally wrong, inappropriate, and, quote, sinful way. So it could be a sin. Now, why am I talking about frustration? Especially as we're looking at the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Because the story we're going to look at today is a story about a time when Jesus got frustrated. And I have a feeling that Jesus got frustrated a whole lot more than we see illustrated in Scripture because we only see a couple of times where it actually mentions things Jesus does and says that it's quite obvious he's frustrated. But he had to work with people. So I guarantee he dealt with a number, a, a good amount of frustration. Not sinful because Jesus did not sin. Jesus was God come in the flesh, lived life perfectly, faced all the temptations that we face, but was without sin. 
but he did get frustrated. I almost named the title of this message, Jesus Gets Frustrated. I didn't. But then I got to realize that's only half of what God wants us to understand today. Instead, I titled the message today, Godly Frustration. Godly Frustration. I'll just tell you at the outset as we jump into this message today, the kind of goals that I have in my mind and in my heart as I've been praying over this message and it's really been weighing on me, is to see what it is that frustrated Jesus, not just so we can look back and say, oh, they really frustrated Jesus and blah, 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 but to look to examine our own hearts. How do I frustrate Jesus? I frustrate Jesus, I'm sure you all, all the time. How do I frustrate Jesus? And I challenge you and encourage you. It's not a comfortable thing to think about, but but to think along the same lines as we work our way through this passage, how you might frustrate Jesus and, and how can I frustrate him less? But I don't want it to stop there. God's just really laid on my heart that I believe he wants to stir each of us to get more frustrated about the things we should be frustrated about, but maybe we're not. And that's why I titled it Godly Frustration rather than just Jesus got frustrated or whatever because I believe God wants to do a work in our hearts and in our lives about frustration that we'll stop getting so frustrated about things we really shouldn't and start getting really frustrated about things that we should. So, let's take a look at this story. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 9 starting in verse 37. This story is also found with even more detail in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, and we'll refer to some of that additional detail later. And it's a story that I'm sure you've heard before. The background, really quick, the last time we looked at Luke, it was two weeks ago, because last week was Father's Day, was the story of Jesus going up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and while they were there, Jesus was transfigured which is a way of saying that all of his glory as God was manifested in his humanity. Peter, James, and John were overwhelmed, you know. Jesus is there talking with Moses and Elijah, and the story told us that he was talking specifically about his departure. In other words, they're talking about what's coming up within the next year. They're talking about the fact that he is now on his way to Jerusalem, and the end result is going to be that he's going to be betrayed, he is going to be tried, he's going to be unjustly um, treated, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be crucified. But he's going to rise again, and he's doing it for the sins of the world. That's what they're talking about. The Father speaks from heaven. Peter, James, and John hears him. He says, this is my son. Listen to him. So they're coming down from the mountain. And we talked about mountaintop experiences, those times when you just really in the presence of God or sense the presence of God or sense his working in your lives. Things are good. Mountaintop experience. They're coming down the mountain and that's where we pick up our story. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 37, it says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Talking about Jesus. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. 
And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain had this glorious experience coming down from the mountaintop experience. And here they come to this great crowd that is gathered. A bunch of just people who as they always often do when we see in the scriptures, in the, in the gospels, that they know where Jesus is at and they gather because they want to see him. They want something from him. They want to hear from him. They, they want to experience those things that happen wherever he's at. Mark tells us that not only are people there just in general, but there's some of the scribes, the religious leaders that are there. The disciples that didn't go up on the mountain, the other nine, the ones other than Peter, James, and John, they're there. And this man has brought his son. And as Jesus and Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain, they face a situation so totally opposite of where they've been. They face a situation where it seems like everything's out of control. The other disciples are baffled. It's like, why couldn't this happen? You have this father who probably came looking for Jesus, full of faith, full of excitement. This man who can do miracles, maybe he can deliver my son. And now he's disappointed. And he's not even sure if Jesus can deliver his son. As you read the episode again in Mark, Mark gives us the most detail. He says, Jesus, if there's something you can do, would you have compassion on us? And would you do something? I have a feeling that when he showed up that day, that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was probably like, Jesus is here. He's going to take care of this. And this man is disappointed. His heart broken. This is his only son. This is his heir. This is his legacy. This is the one he loves dearly. The one who's going to take over the family name, the family land, the family business. The, the one blessing, primary blessing God has put in his life. And there is a spirit that is involved here. We don't know how, why, whatever. That causes him to have the symptoms that are described as ep uh, the symptoms of epilepsy. He has seizures. Again, Matthew and Mark give us more detail. It makes him mute. It makes him deaf. It not only causes him to just fling himself to the ground and have these seizures. But there have been times when the father was not watching as closely, or maybe he was, whatever, but the, 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 the demon, the, the, the spirit would try to cast him into water to drown him, would try to cast him into the fire to burn him. This man is a child he so desperately loves, possessed by a force beyond their control, seeking to destroy him. And he comes to Jesus to have this problem solved. Jesus isn't around, but his disciples are. But they fail. He's disappointed. Jesus takes care of it. He casts the demon out. He presents the son back to his father whole. This great rejoicing. And we could do a whole sermon just on that. All the truths that are there. How much Jesus loves people. How much he hates the influence of the enemy over their lives. And every way in which the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And how he can bring deliverance and help and hope to any situation as we trust in him. 
So there's a little mini sermon you can hold on to, but that's not the way God led me today. In fact, to be honest with you, the verse I believe God wants me to focus on, this is a t- the, the, the subject of our sermon today is this frustration that Jesus had is a verse that I wanted to kind of just gloss over, you know, because it seems to be a downer and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's a little bit harder to understand. You've got to dig a little deeper, but God says, that's the verse I want you to focus on. The verse where Jesus expresses his frustration, a godly frustration, is verse 41. We read it. When Jesus is, is facing all this stuff and he says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Oh, faithless and twisted generation. There's four questions I want to deal with very quickly today. First of all, what frustrated Jesus? And along with that is who, but what frustrated Jesus? But I want to very quickly get to the point of how it applies to us, and that is how do I frustrate Jesus? And I've been doing a lot of soul searching myself. How do I frustrate Jesus based on what the truths we see in the Scripture? And how can I frustrate Jesus less? But then the last question I want us to get to is, am I frustrated by the things that frustrate Jesus? So let's jump in and take a look at the first question. What frustrated Jesus. What frustrated Jesus? And, and who is he talking to here? I mean, he's talking to the crowd. He's talking to the people that are there. But who is he pointing the finger at? Who is he frustrated with? But before we talk about who, let's talk about what. What is it that frustrated Jesus? And the only clues we have are the words that he uses. He says here, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. So we got two things he specifically mentions, and they are interrelated. They are intertwined. It's very hard to separate and have one without the other. And I want to deal with them in reverse order, but I want to look at the second one first when he says, you are twisted generation. Some translation translations translate that word because it can mean this also a perverse generation or a crooked, crooked generation or corrupt generation. And what we see here is that Jesus was frustrated with twisted thinking and living. Jesus was frustrated with twisted, and I use the word twisted because that's what this translation, the English Standard Version says, the twisted generation, perverse, crooked, corrupt. If you do any deeper study on this, you find that this word was used several times throughout the Old Testament by God himself, by Moses, God's representative, to describe God's people. When they got off track, when they began to rebel, when they began to do the things that God said, don't do these things. I am your God. I am your Lord. I am your provider. I rescued you out of Egypt. I'm going to take care of you. Love and serve me only. But the Israelites would look at the world and the nations around them. And they would allow themselves to be influenced by worldly thinking and worldly living to where they would begin to do things they knew that didn't please God. They would begin to worship and serve other idols. Their thought processes and then because of their thought processes, their lives became twisted from the truth of God and their relationship with Him. Their thought processes and their lives began to be twisted to serving other spiritual forces and entities 
And so we see here that Jesus is frustrated with twisted thinking and twisted living. He sees these people who have gathered to see him, but as a whole, they've gotten off track. They're not trying really to understand God's purposes and plans for their lives. It's talking about the rebellion that comes by following the flesh and the world rather than God and his word. Jesus got frustrated with twisted thinking and living. The second thing, which is actually the first one he mentions, is Jesus was frustrated with the lack of faith. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. Faithless. Uh, some translations translate it unbelieving. It means there's a lack of faith, a lack of faith in God, a lack of faith in what God wants to do, a lack of faith in, in God's plan and God's purposes. I said they're, they're very, they're closely related to each other. We see this lack of faith manifested in his disciples and they couldn't cast the demon out. You see this lack of faith in the religious leaders that were also there arguing with the disciples because they had rejected Jesus and what he had to say and what God had sent him to do. We see this lack of faith in Jesus and his power to heal through the disciples. We see this lack of faith perhaps growing in the Father. It'd be very easy to imagine that he came full of faith, but now there's not near as much because of the way things have turned out. I can't even begin to imagine what might all, what all might be going through Jesus' mind, but Jesus, having just been on this mountain where he's revealed in all his glory, talking to Moses and Elijah about the plan and purpose that he has with God the Father to go and die for the sins of the world and how God wants to set people free. He wants them delivered from all the pain and heartache and sorrow and, and all the stuff the enemy's bringing against them. And he comes down and he finds that in his absence, everything's gone haywire. And it really shouldn't have. It really shouldn't have. So if these are the things that Jesus was frustrated by. Who was he frustrated with? I found it very interesting as I studied this, and I did a lot of research, a lot of different commentaries and all that kind of stuff, and there were people that were very adamant that well, he was frustrated with the disciples because they couldn't cast the demon out. And then other people say, well, he wasn't frustrated with the disciples. I mean, they still should have been able to cast the demon out, but he, he didn't really chastise them. He just used this as a learning experience. But he was frustrated with the people. Well, he was frustrated with, the, you know... And then he was frustrated with everybody. But where I come down is basically he was frustrated with everybody and everything about the whole situation. He says here, oh, faithless and twisted generation. That word for generation means race of people. It means all the people that were there at that time. And I think he had some frustration, maybe for different reasons and different purposes, for all the people that were there. I believe he was frustrated with the people in general because even though a great crowd had gathered, they still were manifesting signs of unbelief. And we see that for the most part, most people that gathered together in a great crowd to see Jesus only came for what they wanted. Only came for what they believed Jesus could give them and what they hoped he would give them. They didn't come so much, at least in general, or the great majority of them, to hear about the kingdom of God, other than the fact that if the kingdom of God has come, it can cause me to be delivered, it can cause me to be healed, it can cause me to have my needs met, that that's all great. But they came for what they wanted. They came for what they needed. And Jesus is frustrated. There's more to it than that. God wants to do something in you. He wants to do something for you. 
I believe he was frustrated with the scribes. Again, they're not mentioned in Luke, but they're mentioned in Mark. They're there to check Jesus out, to tear him down, to oppose him. The scribes, along with the Pharisees and Sadducees, who aren't mentioned by title, have opposed Jesus all along. They're going to be the ones that are going to be behind the push to get Jesus crucified. And so they oppose the truth that Jesus is bringing. And they're probably so excited because the disciples have failed. In fact, Mark tells us that the disciples and the scribes are having an argument when Jesus shows up. And I'm sure the scribes are probably mocking them, say, see, you couldn't do it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so Jesus is obviously frustrated about that. But I believe he's also frustrated with his disciples because they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Because you see, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that they had been given the authority and the commission to heal people to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God. They had actually gone out on a trip two by two without Jesus even being with them, and they were able to do it. But now, something got in the way. It's obvious from the story, they tried to cast the demon out, to heal the child, and they were unsuccessful. We don't know exactly what they did do, but there are a couple of hints about what they didn't do, and we'll get to those in just a couple of moments. But it seems to indicate that they did not have, they did not use the faith that they had had, that they had been given. And so Jesus is frustrating, frustrated with them. But can I tell you that I believe that in his frustration, I don't think it's the type of thing that Jesus is just ready to give up on everybody and just so frustrated that maybe he's even starting to get angry with the people themselves. I believe that he's frustrated with the way the enemy worked in this situation while he was away to bring about the enemy's purposes rather than Jesus's. I think his heart is broken for the people. I think his heart is broken even for the scribes and the religious leaders who opposed him all along. I think his heart is broken for the disciples who have such promise and such potential, and they missed it this time. And a little aside here, you know, there's a couple of times Jesus got frustrated with the disciples. You know, when they wanted to send the children away. Jesus says, no, no, and he brought a whole lesson out of that. There's many times that they argued about who was most important and who was going to have the position of authority when Jesus became the king of God's kingdom. He got so frustrated with them. But I want to point out very clearly that Jesus never rejected or tried to replace his disciples. He knew that they were growing. He knew that they were learning. And he knew they were going to make mistakes. And he would just help them to get past it and go forward. And he did exactly that. These same 12 disciples that messed it up didn't always get it. Did the wrong things, said the wrong things grew, learned, developed, and God used them to turn their world upside down. I just want to say he does the same thing for us. I said one of the things I want us to look at is how do I frustrate Jesus? And I confess I frustrate Jesus, I'm sure, all the time. But you know what? God doesn't reject us. He doesn't try to replace us. We're growing, we're learning, we make mistakes, but he's going to help us to get up, go forward, and do better. 
and make a difference in our world. So this frustration, I believe, is focused on the enemy. But a real sorrow for the people that are deceived and bound. So what frustrated Jesus? This, this twisted thinking. This thinking along the lines of the world. This corruption that creeps in from living in this corrupt world. And the lack of faith that comes as a result of that. So that leads me to the second question. How do I frustrate Jesus. And I, I worded this way on purpose. How do I frustrate Jesus? Because God's been working in my heart and been speaking to my heart. And I didn't want to be, how does, how do we frustrate Jesus? Lord, how do I frustrate you sometimes? And it's the same thing. And when we get to the end of the message, I'm going to share with you a couple of things that frustrated me this week. A couple of them that I shouldn't have been frustrated with. And so I learned from that, but a couple of things that I was frustrated with that I should have been frustrated with. It's the right thing to be frustrated about. Because as I said, I believe God wants to work in our hearts and cause us and help us to be frustrated about things we should be frustrated about. But anyway, how do I frustrate Jesus? The first one is this, is when I allow the world's twisted thinking to guide me rather than God's Word. I believe it frustrates Jesus. I believe it frustrates God. When I allow this world's twisted thinking to influence me, to influence what I believe, to influence what I say, and to influence the way I live, rather than God's Word. It's a sad fact that has been verified over and over and over again through so many different research projects and surveys and things like that. And that is that a great many Christians, and I'm talking about primarily here in the United States, although it's probably true in many other places in the world, that a great many Christians do not have a biblical worldview. What does that mean? It means they say, I'm a Christian. And I'm not saying they're not. Very well could be a Christian. I love Jesus. I love God. I go to church. You know, all this kind of stuff. But when you examine what they believe... Compared to what God's word says, there's a tremendous disconnect. Why? Because we live in a world we get so immersed in. And we have so much bombarding us from the culture around us, the people around us. The news, what we watch, what we read, both news-wise, but even for entertainment. That if we do not have our guard up and are not careful about what we do allow into our lives, we become influenced more by the ungodly ideas and thoughts and philosophies of the world inspired by our enemy than we do by God's Word. So many Christians say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I, sir, I go to church and this kind of stuff. But they don't even really know exactly who Jesus is. They don't know if they can agree with the statement that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he, Jesus made that very, very clear. And there's so many other areas in which if we are not careful, the world's twisted thinking creeps into our lives. And when we do that and we allow that, to become the basis of what we believe to be true and the way we live our lives. I believe we frustrate Jesus. 
The second thing is the same second thing. I think I frustrate Jesus when I don't walk in faith, trusting him. That's what he calls us to do. Walk in faith, live in faith, trust in God. Whatever comes your way, trust God. Whatever you need, go to God and trust God. Whatever he chooses to do about it, trust God. Even if he doesn't do exactly what you want him to do, trust God. When he calls you to do something, when he calls me to do something, don't say, well, I can't do it. Just, God, you called me to do it. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust God. When we feel overwhelmed by life's circumstances, I'm going to trust God. And when we don't trust God, when we don't walk in faith, I believe it frustrates Jesus. I mean, it manifests in two kind of ways that I can think of, in an attitude. And please understand, whatever it is you're feeling right now, I feel it too, okay? Whatever conviction, whatever negativity might be there, I feel it too. But God wants us to go through life facing whatever it is that comes our way, as difficult as it might be. He wants us to experience peaceful rest on the inside. But I can tell you, I don't experience it 100% of the time. I would venture to say that none of us do. Because we're still in process of learning to trust God. But I can tell you that no matter what comes my way, no matter what is going on in my life, no matter what I feel is weighing me down, that when I truly trust God, I experience his peaceful rest on the inside. And you can too. Probably most all of you have experienced that. So this walking in faith, this trusting him, it manifests itself in our attitude, but it also manifests itself in our action in the sense of God tells us that this is what we're supposed to do, and so we do it. That's what it means to trust God in faith. Instead of wrestling with, I mean, you can wrestle with it, but instead of saying, I can't do that, so I'm not going to even try. You know, I can't live that way. I can't obey that thing that God's telling me. I can't share my faith with somebody else. I can't, I, you know, and so we pull back, we hold back, and we're not walking in faith. And instead, it's like, well, God told me this is the way I need to live. I'm going to live that way by faith. I'm going to believe God's going to give me what it takes to do that. God says to do this about my marriage. God says this to do about my finance. God says to do this about this, that, the other. God says I should be a light for him. And I should take every opportunity I have when he opens the door to just, you know, be a light for Jesus and share my... I'm, I'm, it scares me. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to trust him instead of holding back. Because when I don't, I frustrate him. I frustrate him. So it leads me to the third question. And this is where really important. How can I frustrate Jesus less? How can I frustrate Jesus less? How can I live in such a way? I, I know I'm human and, and it's just obvious from life. It's obvious from God's word. I'm still going to make mistakes. It doesn't excuse them. It shouldn't be a reason to go ahead and do what I know is wrong. But I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do things that frustrate Jesus, but how can I frustrate him less? How can I be more that man of God who walks in faith and doesn't allow the world to influence and to sway and to to change things? How can I be that man of God? There's a lot of things we could say, but there's some hints right here in this story and what's going on around it. 
And as I said a couple of weeks ago, they're not new revelations. They're things you say, well, pastor, you preach about this. You talk about this all the time. But you, I, as I said two weeks, it's because it's basic. And it's because this is what we need to do. Heard about a preacher one time that preached a great sermon one Sunday. Everybody thought it was wonderful. The next Sunday they came back anticipating another one. He preached the exact same sermon. People thought that was a little strange, didn't say anything, but then they came back the next Sunday saying, Cheryl, here preached something, he preached the exact same sermon. And somebody said, why do you keep preaching the same sermon over and over again? He says, well, God said to keep preaching until we all start living it. Anyway, how can I frustrate Jesus less? First of all, listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus just came off the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did God say from the cloud of his glory? He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. If we continue in Luke next week, which is what my plan is, but I'm always open to whatever God wants to do. The very next verses after this story, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what's coming up. And he says specifically, listen to me. Let this really sink in through your ears. I mean, he's very graphic about it. He's let this really sink in. Pay attention. And we see over and over and over again in Jesus' teaching that as he's teaching, he says, listen, don't just listen to what I'm saying and let it go in one ear and out the other. He doesn't actually use that phrase, but that's what he's saying. He says, do what I say. Pay attention. Let it influence your life. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to his word. We need to compare his word against what the world is trying to cram down our throats. We need to compare God's truth against what the enemy wants us to believe. From the very beginning, the way that the enemy has brought defeat to the human race was through lies. Has God really said is that what God really means? There's a much better way. You can live your own life apart from God's standards and do just fine. In fact, you'll be just like him. Same lies he tells us today. Live your own life. Don't be concerned with what God's word says. Don't be concerned about lining your word up with what God's word says your life should look like. Listen to him. But to listen to him, we've got to spend time with him. We've got to spend time with his truth. I've said so many times, it just blows me away. When I become aware, anyway, of people who say, I don't have time. I really don't have time for God's word. I just really, at least not much. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple minutes today. But yet hours spent surfing the internet, watching our favorite TV shows and movies, reading our favorite periodicals, newspaper. Well, I guess newspapers are kind of out now, but whatever it is that we do, no wonder we struggle to not be influenced more by the world than we are by God's word. We need to listen to him. We need to listen to him. We need to make sure we have a biblical worldview. It's the only way we can combat the enemy's lies. The second thing is this. It's the flip side of the coin. Stop 
believing the world's twisted thinking. Stop believing the world's twisted thinking. Whereas as you listen to him, as you spend time with his word and you compare it to what the world is saying. Now, there are some things that the world says that it's still a derivative of what God said. And we can agree with the world. The world says, at least out there in the open, whether they practice it or not, is that we should love everybody. God started that. The world says that we should not mistreat other people. God started that. So there are some things the world gets right, but they only get it right because it's in agreement with what God said. But there's so many areas where the world's twisted thinking has is so powerful, it's so prevalent, and it even creeps with it creeps into the Christian's heart and mind if we're not careful, and it creeps into the church. We need to compare what the world says and what your flesh says. The Bible says we have a fallen, sinful nature. It's like having a traitor inside of us that's going to push us to rebel against what God's word says. There's an old long love song that was really popular for a long time that is filled with, that, 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 that is filled with wonderful, um, sentiment and that, but there is one line in it that's straight from the pit of hell. And that line is, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Because we can't trust our hearts. Jeremiah says our hearts are desperately wicked. We trust God's word. There's so many things in which people are just following their hearts. They're following their flesh. They're following their desires, egged on by our enemy, egged on by the word that's in direct world, but it's in direct contradiction with God's word. We've got to stop believing the world's twisted thinking. Ungodly ideas, philosophies, values, lifestyles, Paul has the advice that we need to follow in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to listen to him. Stop believing the world's twisted thinking. And the third thing is we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to be in connection with God. We need him to guide us and lead us. We need him to empower us. I said a little while ago, we don't know exactly for sure exactly, you know, we don't, start over. We do not know for sure what the disciples did or didn't do to try to cast out this demon. They were unsuccessful. But there's a couple of hints. And one of those hints is that they didn't pray. It may sound silly to us, but it could have been, we don't know, but it could have been in pride and maybe a little bit of arrogance of we're Jesus' disciples and we've already cast out demons. So here we go. This is no trouble. Demon be gone. And it wasn't gone. Why do I say that's a possibility? Because the scriptures don't say that's what they did. Because again, we look and we see that there are more details in Matthew and in Mark and in Matthew's account, later that day, they ask him, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that demon? 
He says, these times, these kinds can only come out except through prayer. And some man's going to say through fasting, through prayer. In other, words, in other words, you don't need to do it in your own strength. You need to try to do it in your own uh, abilities. You don't need to do it just because of your past successes. You need to do it because you have a current connection with your heavenly father. He's the one that empowers you. And so if we don't want to frustrate Jesus, we need to be people of prayer. We need to be in connection with our Heavenly Father. We need His life flowing through us. And the fourth and last thing that we can draw from here is to just trust Him. To have faith. I mean, that's what Jesus said. They were unfaithful. They didn't have faith. So if we just have faith... And this has been a, uh, an area of teaching that has gotten kind of all screwy over the years of, and people drawing the wrong conclusions from the things that Jesus says about faith to where there are people that say, well, you know what? All the problems in your life and your world are because you don't have enough faith. You know, some of the problems we have may be because we don't have enough faith, but not all of them. Another a, a, a corresponding doctor or truth teaching, not truth teaching, is, is that, you know, if, if there's something wrong in your life and you've prayed about it and it's not gone away, God hasn't healed you, God hasn't done this, then either you don't have enough faith or there's sin in your life. Sin in your life can cause all kinds of problems and barriers to you receiving what God has for you, but those aren't the only two reasons. The main number one overarching reason is that God has a plan for your purpose for your life and you pray and you trust him, he's going to do what's best for you. And he's going to do it in his timing, not yours. So what I'm getting ready to say is not trying to tell you that if you just have enough faith, you're going to get what you want from God because that's not what faith's all about. Faith is all about having enough trust in God that God's going to do what he wants to do in me and through me. And whatever that is, I'm still going to trust him. But in this situation, the disciples had been given the authority. They had been given the commission. They knew this is what God wanted them to do, but they failed because they didn't have enough faith. How do we know that? Because again, in Mark's account, I'm sorry, in Matthew's account, he says, you didn't have enough faith. And he goes on to say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it can move mountains. Doesn't mean literally. To move mountains was a colloquial way of saying, you can do what even seems to be impossible if it's what God's will is. Just the size, faith the size of the mustard seed. Again, sometimes people struggle with that, say, you know, oh, it's so terrible. I don't even have faith the size of a mustard seed. That wasn't the point. Jesus' point is that if you'll just use the faith you have, it doesn't have to be humongous. If you'll just use the faith you have, It'll make a difference. So we need to trust him. We need to have faith. You know, we see in this story, in Mark's account of it, anyway, it doesn't take a lot of faith. The boy's father, he comes, and by this point, he's discouraged. And Jesus says, what's going on? And he says, listen, I, I brought my son, and here's the situation. If, if there's anything you can do, would you have compassion and, and do something, please? You know what Jesus' response was? If you can, all things are possible for those who believe. And then he told the man to go away and work on his faith. And when it got big enough, come back. No, he didn't. 
In fact, the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he said, Lord, I came in faith, but I've been disappointed. Lord, I, I think you can do something, but I'm afraid it's not enough. But Jesus said, that's enough. How do we know it's enough? Because he healed the boy. We need to trust him. We need to have faith. We need to live in the confidence that God's got everything under control. We can trust him. That we can do what he calls us to do. We can live in victory. We can make a difference in our world. How many times may there be needs around us in other people's lives that go unmet because we don't trust God to work in us and through us in the lives of others? Now, please understand, these are all like it was for the disciples. These are all issues of growing to maturity. I mean, technically speaking, practically speaking, the longer you've known the Lord, I'm not saying life gets easier, but hopefully if you've been growing in that time, because, you know, there's some 20-year-old babies maybe. I don't know. But as we grow, our faith grows. Our trust in Him grows. As we grow and we're listening to Him, we're, we're connecting with the Father. Our, our, our minds are shaped and molded by God's Word and not by the world's view. We're all in different places. It's just all part of growing up. We're all in a different part of our development as Christians. But the point is, are we growing? Are we making progress? And when we fall, do we get back up and allow God to help us? The last question. I want to wrap this thing up pretty quick. Am I frustrated by the things that frustrate Jesus? We get frustrated by any number of things. It's just part of life. But am I frustrated by the things that frustrate Jesus? Um, You've probably prayed, at least many of you, like I have, and we talk about it. Things like, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. There's songs that have that lyric. and Great sentiment. Lord, the things that really break your heart, may I come to that place where those things really break my heart. We say things like, Lord... Help me to see people through your eyes, right? God, help me to love people like you do. Those are all phenomenal things to pray. Challenge you, encourage you to do that. But after studying this passage and this message that God laid on my heart, God has prompted me to start praying, God, help me to be frustrated by the things that frustrate you. God, help me to be stirred up with a holy frustration about the things that frustrate you so much so that I'm willing to do something about it. I'm willing to pray about it. Whatever it is you lead me to do, God, fill me with a godly frustration. That's why I titled this message Godly Frustration. It's not just about the fact that God, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, got frustrated. But God, may I have a godly frustration. May I get so frustrated with the way things are in my life, the way things are in my sphere of influence, the way things are in my world, that I will pray, that I will work, that I will do, that I will step out in faith, even though it's hard to do what you want me to do so that you can do stuff through me I would never imagine. And that's not just true because I'm a pastor, but it's because I'm a believer. May I become so frustrated with the enemy and his influence in our world, our our culture, and the individuals around me and the, the lack of faith that there is in the church and in myself 
but I want to see change. I said I was going to end by sharing a couple of things that frustrated me recently. A couple of things that shouldn't have. God's dealing with my heart about and a couple of things that should have. And I was, and I'm so thankful that I'm at least frustrated about some things that frustrate God. At least in my opinion. First one is that we got some current needs that are uh, that our church is facing. In the last two months, we've had some totally unforeseen stuff that's happened. Some as a result of a terrible storm. Some as a result of some other things. About four, five, six different specific things that have to do with our buildings, our property, our equipment, and that kind of stuff. Got a deacon meeting right after service to talk about you know how we're going to handle each and every one of these things. And the total cost of all these things to get them made right and fixed, besides the headache of getting it done, is going to cost us about $9,000. $9,000, totally unexpected expenses. Now, thank God we have an emergency fund. This is going to mostly drain it, but we can do it. And I found myself getting so frustrated. It's like, Lord. Ugh. And then it just began to hit me. It's like, did God not know these things were going to happen? Sure he did. These were all unexpected. None of them really had to do with anything we did or didn't do. Some were a result of acts of God. And God just says, why are you getting so frustrated? Trust me. I allowed it to happen. I'm going to take care of it. You do have an emergency fund, right? I mean, it's not like you've got to go to the people and say, hey, we've got to have a special offering, although that would be helpful. But anyway, and so God telling me about my frustrations is, why are you being so frustrated? Just leave it in my hands. Do what you know is good. Do what you know is right. And I'm going to take care of it. Another one is just, and, and this adds to it. That's just one part of it. It's just lately, for some reason, I've just been feeling kind of overwhelmed. I am the pastor of this church, so ultimately, in a human perspective, a leadership perspective, that I am ultimately responsible to a degree of what happens in and through our church and what we do and how we do it and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And God began, and I began to just feel a little overwhelmed, kind of frustrated, and God began to speak to me. He says, listen, you, you, you've kind of got the right idea, but the wrong idea. Because yes, you are the pastor, and ultimately you are over all, but you know what? Who's over me? It's God. Right? Why do you want to let yourself get frustrated and feel overwhelmed when I've got this? Just trust me. Just do what you know to do the best of your ability and trust me. So that's an area I'm trying not to be frustrated in and I'm trying to walk in faith and think God's thoughts. But then two other areas in which I've been frustrated, one of them came up yesterday. I was out cutting my grass and uh, there was this pair of people that were walking down the road, stopping house to house. You can probably figure out what that's all about. Two Jehovah's Witnesses were coming, going door to door. I was cutting my grass. I was thinking, I really don't want to take the time for this. And I said, Lord, do you want me to stop? Do you want me to talk to them or just very politely say, hey, I've got things i got to do? And I felt like God was speaking. He said, just spend some time talking to them. Because they're blinded. They're, they're deceived. And they need the truth. And, and so I stopped and we talked for a good five minutes or so. And I'm not going to recount the whole thing. But just trying to lovingly, not combatively, not arrogantly or whatever, express the truths of God's word about Jesus and salvation and all that kind of stuff and I'd love to say and then I led him to the Lord he prayed this in his prayer that didn't happen 
he left feeling on at least the external thing the way he felt believing what he believed and but you know I was able to go back to cutting my grass saying God I did the best I could do I made it very clear what the truth of your word said but can I tell you that that stirred a frustration in me but it was a godly frustration and that was God these people are deceived God, these people, they've got some of the truth, but not the core truth they need to be saved. And I began, the whole rest of the time I was cutting grass, I was praying. And I told them I was going to be praying for them. And I just prayed. It was a godly frustration. But the fourth and last one is this. It's this, this frustration that's been really building in my heart. This frustration with the world's aggressive pursuit of ungodliness especially manifested in, in, in the, all the efforts to normalize sexuality that is totally against God's standard in His Word. And not only just pushing it to be accepted, but the aggressive effort on some people's part to just force it in every area and especially in an, effect, in, in an effort to affect our children and our young people. The way in which the enemy is seeking to twist and to bind. And there's been some growing frustration. It's something I've been praying about. But can I tell you, it's, it's not something that I feel frustrated with in an anger way or an upset way toward the people that are involved. I feel sorry. I feel su- such compassion for people that have been so blinded and led astray by the enemy's lies and for some not all to have been so aggressive and so pushy and so angry and so compulsive and I just feel sorrow I think that's a godly frustration God fill me with a godly frustration that prays that loves that seeks to make a difference And so that's it. And I've wrestled with how do we conclude this message and how do we finish and God didn't give me any clear direction other than to say let's all stand together. And I just want to ask you to respond how many of you would say I want to be a man of woman of God that walks in faith and tries to live according to God's word and not this world's philosophies and twisted ideas and I'm going to make mistakes and I've made plenty and God help me to do that. And how many say, you know, I want to have a godly frustration. I, I want to get frustrated, maybe even angry about the things that frustrate and anger God. Not angry with people, but loving people, but allowing that to motivate me. Can we just ask God to do that? I can't pray it for you. I can only pray it for me. God, we come to you right now. And God, I felt such a burden for this message today. And Lord, it's a heavy one. It's one that can convict. It's one that can make us not feel so good. To know that at times, Lord, we we, 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 we frustrate you. We disappoint you, Lord God. You knew it was going to happen, but you love us anyway. And you're going to never give up on us. You're, you're, you're not ever going to kick us out. You're going to keep helping us to, to make a difference. But God, today I pray that as you stirred our hearts God, I can only pray for myself, but I pray to God that you'd help me to be a man of God. A 
man that has your heart, that has your passion, that believes the truth is based on your word, not what this world tells us, not what my flesh tells me I should believe or how I should live or how I should act. But Lord, according to your word, God, help me to have a passion for the things that you are passionate about. Help me, Lord, to be frustrated with the things that you're frustrated with. Help me to get angry at sin and at our enemy without getting angry at people. But instead to love people knowing, Lord God, that so many are in bondage like this little boy was and you set him free. Oh God, use me. Use me in ways I can't even imagine, Lord. Use me in ways that I might feel like there's no way God would ever use me. Me to be a man of faith. Help me to live for you. Use me, Lord God. Use me, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe we need to spend some time in God's presence. Worship team, please lead us in worship. Jesus. And you are worthy of it wasn't the focus of the message today but I feel like I should just say this that if you are here today or you're watching online and you are not right with God you can be right with God just like that little boy that had that demonic influence in his life we have no idea how that demonic influence got a hold it's not the point but people are bound by their sin nothing at all that we can do about our sin when we are bound by it. The Bible says we are all sinners separated from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've all been in bondage to sin. We were born that way. And we're only set free by putting our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so before we wrap this up today, I just want to ask if you're here today or perhaps you're watching online and you say, today I need Jesus as my Savior. I need to be set free from my sins. I need to be forgiven of my sins. And I want to put my trust in Him. And I want to live for Him. I want to live. I want to leave my my, 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 my sin behind. Because this would put a barrier between me and God. And I want to ask Him to forgive me today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand to anybody say, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to leave my sin behind anybody at all I don't see any hands here in this room I would just say that if that raises some questions some issues in your heart in your life I would love to speak with you either after service at any time or my wife or one of our elders or anybody else that you know to be a mature woman or man of God I challenge you to pursue that but for the sake of those who may be watching today or maybe watching this recording or listening to it later Can we just pray? Because if one person surrenders their life to Christ, it's worth it. If you need to surrender your life to Christ, just say something like this to the Father, not to me, to anybody else. God, I come to you today. And I recognize that I am a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. 
I sin because I follow the desires of my flesh. I sin because I follow what the world says is okay. But your word says it's not. Puts a barrier between me and you. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would forgive me. Not because I'm so wonderful or can earn it somehow, but Lord, because I want to trust in what Jesus did. That Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. So I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come in and live your life through me and help me to live for you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we go, I just want to say this. I know that this was a very heavy message today. And I pray that the heaviness remains in my heart until I'm where I need to be with this truth between me and God. But I also want to say you don't have to leave here heavy. You can leave here saying, God, you spoke to me. Now I want to live it out. And by faith, I'm going to believe you're going to help me to do it. And that's how I challenge you to leave today. So as you leave today, just share the love of the Lord with one another. Encourage one another. You might even say, hey, can I pray with you? Because I want to live this out. You pray for me, I'm going to pray for you. But God bless you. Make a difference in your world this week. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.